Hey guys, Jan here. Uh, we accidentally aired these episodes out of order. This is the Christmas episode, which actually takes place before Season 3, Episode 1. So we're going a little backwards. Sorry about that. We just edited them in the wrong order. So enjoy this little look back at the Christmas episode. And uh, have a great day. Midwife calling. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we take each episode of Call the Midwife one by one and talk about them without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And we are talking uh, this week about the Christmas special that is connected to the third season. Yep. Is it the third season or the second season? They're generally called 300 <laughs> or 200. When it comes to Christmas specials, they belong to the next season. It is the start of our third season. It sure is. This episode was directed by Thea Sherrick and written by Heidi Thomas. This is Thea Sherrick's first episode of two. And Heidi Thomas, of course, created the show and has written many episodes, many individual episodes. Absolutely. This is, a, uh, since the Christmas special, it's an extra long uh, episode, and so our episode of Popular Opinion might also be extra long. Who knows? We haven't... You're already yawning. <laughs> we haven't said it yet, so I don't know how long it'll be. <laughs> Alright, so let's get into the recap. Mature Jenny narrates about Christmas and the comfort of traditions. Fred is selling mistletoe and bribes Peter to let him continue. In the clinic, polio vaccines are being administered on the same day as the Christmas concert. Chummy and Peter are adorable new parents, and Trixie is hair-drying Sister Monica Jones' hyacinths to bloom for Christmas. The nurses discuss the rebuilding of Nanatus and that they have 18 months left in their current location. Jenny meets Alec in a phone booth for kissing, Sheila talks with Sister Julianne in the street, holding a box with her wedding dress. Jenny visits a couple, Yvonne and Alan, who are expecting. He struggles with malaria from fighting in Korea. Sheila asks Timothy's opinion on her dress, but he's not all that helpful. <laughs> the nurses, sing, nurses and nuns sing carols in the maternity home while a baby is born, and Dr. Turner reports back to Sheila that the sisters miss her. So we kind of have all of the plots just laid out here, aside from the bomb plot that we'll get to, is uh, polio and the hyacinths. Uh, Jenny is with Alec now. Sheila's getting married. And even Yvonne... The, and... Even the bomb plot, Peter gets called away. On the first watch, I didn't quite... Ca- connect the pieces but you didn't mention true, peter it, gets, peter called, gets away. called away for business like in the middle of the night mm-hmm. or as soon as he gets home as soon as he gets home yeah yeah and i, I think it's connected yeah that is that's them. there's something going on mm-hmm. yeah 
Hey, sorry, I interrupted. That's okay. And the last thing is, Iman and Alan are the married. They are the pregnant couple of the week. <laughs> the baby of the week. The baby of the week. Two babies this week, Two as often, week. but one of them is just routine. Mm-hmm. Happens quickly. Yeah, exactly. Um, what do you want to talk about first? I mean, the sometimes I find that. Uh, Mature Jenny's narration laying out kind of the theme of the episode is stronger than others. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a fairly strong one. I agree. I agree. Because she talks about traditions and she talks about them spending the Christmas all together. And then by the end of the episode, we realize that they're not going to. And she says that Christmas, we like to see things in their proper place. And I feel like that is kind of laying out the theme of the episode is mm-hmm. what are people and things proper places where do people belong where should they belong and how can they made to be made to feel like they belong yeah and that is very much the theme of the whole episode is belonging and and your place yeah both both physical and emotional and we see that with and she says also the a phrase that i really like in that introductory voiceover Mm -hmm. is that christmas is we want Christmas to feel like the one still point in a world still turning. Mm-hmm. And it maybe is a little bit like... Sentimental. A little bit sentimental. I was going to say a little bit if you know how fiction works. Like, oh, so this is going to be a story about Christmas not at all being a still point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but it's a pro- like it, But it works, I think. And I think it is like... Mm-hmm. There is a, a sense of... Certainly for me, and I suspect for most people, whether you are as we are, whether you uh, treat Christmas as a religious holiday or just as like a break holiday in your life, either way, like there's this romantic notion of Christmas as like still and quiet and everything in its place. And the point of the episode and the point of that voiceover at the beginning is like the disparity between what you imagine and hope and romanticize and envision Christmas being and what it often is in practice. Mm-hmm. Right? That's so true. And that speaking of things that you imagine and envision and like we have here in this first section, uh, Sheila's wedding mm-hmm. as something that she is imagining and envisioning and how it is practically shaping up to be is at odds with how she envisions it and how she envisions it is at odds with how she thinks she should envision it. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you think of that? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, she runs into Sister Julienne and she's, it's, I mean, it's, the whole episode is this, we just want to keep it quiet. We want to have it small. It's just going to be like the three of us, I bought this dress, it's not a big deal. And Sister Julianne is excited for her. She's Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's an exciting purchase that you have there. And Sister Bernadette does, I mean, Sheila, (laughs) Sheila doesn't want to uh, express her excitement, even though, of course, she is excited. She's just, She's still conflicted and still struggling. And I feel like that is so much more realistic than her just like, well, she left being a nun and now she's happily married with no conflict at all about making this decision. When of course she would feel conflicted. 
about a, leaving the religious life. There's a real sense when she meets Sister Julienne, the note I wrote is like, she still has sad eyes. Mm-hmm. She still has that like sad worried face that she had for the first two seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I think exactly, I agree with you 100% that, like, that does not mean that she uh, isn't anticipating happiness or that she, but, like, of course a person Mm -hmm. is going to have misgivings and uh, regret about making such a massive life change. Yeah. Like, that seems so... Likely mm-hmm. and plausible. Absolutely. Is that she's allowed to be happy and move on, but she's also in mourning of her old life. And that's such the case of many times in our lives when even something good happening, you have to go through a mourning period of the end of something else. So she shows, we're talking about Sheila, I guess, first. Yeah. Uh, she shows her, like, his hairstyle to Timothy and is like, what do you think? He's like, why are you asking me for? I'm not a woman. Yeah. Or even a girl. <laughs> She's like, well, it's a funny moment, but it's also like, she all but says, she doesn't quite say these words, but like, I don't have anyone else to show. Yeah. She's feeling very alone. Yes, And we exactly. see that represented in that moment of like, Timothy, mm-hmm. how do you like my hair? I can't go ask sister julianne how she likes my hair for my wedding that Mm -hmm. feels so awkward and weird yeah well and she shows him the dress because she can't show dr turner because he's the groom and he can't see the dress but timothy does does have some notions of like well wedding dress should be white how come it's not white like oh it's nearly white it's gray yeah and then he of course as a kid does is like somebody in the shop said you're like a divorced woman because you were married to jesus and then she puts away the dress and the line that i love so much is he did that in quite a cross way (laughs) yeah oh you sweet child doing that in quite a cross way because I am cross. cross yeah, not at but, you. I'm sorry. You. <laughs> Just like, oh, that's that's a classic parenting thing of like. It's a wonderful life. A yeah. wonderful moment. Yeah, doing that in quite a cross, cross way. way. I'm gonna remember it and pull it out. Mm-hmm. Me um, too. But she like, and then when she talks to Patrick about it, to Doctor Turner about it uh, later in the same section, mm-hmm. that she says like. I can't go to Sister Julienne and the nuns because I've rejected them. Mm-hmm. And she specifically, I also really think it's a quite a compelling articulation of where she is at this moment. That, like, in the religious life, there were rules. Yeah. But there are no rules for life after, and I feel like I have to write my own rules. Yeah. And, of course, that would be difficult. It's very daunting. Yeah. I mean, just as a person i have often felt like writing my own rules is uh depending on my mood very exciting or terrifying yes exactly and that like one of the comforts of the religious life i am sure is there are rules that are clear and that can also be i mean that's also one of the uh burdens of it mm-hmm. right absolutely you want to talk about the polio uh, clinic? Um, 
Yes, there's a lot of humor in this episode, and and a lot of it comes from Sister Evangelina. And so the, yep. the polio clinic is one of them being like, she's upset that they've chosen the wrong candy because you need to have, like, you need, I asked for barley twists. You can't have them dithering over. Yeah, so she says, uh, I asked for barley sugar twists, not dolly mixture. Do you yeah. know what those two no, things are? No, I didn't look are? up what either of those things are. So barley sugar twists are, I mean... Who knows, homemade, not homemade, but they're like a hard candy yeah. with a little bit of a lemony flavor. So it's like a lemon drop. Yeah. Dolly mixture are multicolored fondants and jellies. Mm. So you can see sister, I mean, so you can see sister, Cynthia is like, these are more festive. They're all colorful and exciting. But sister Evangelina is like, they should all be the same. Yeah. <laughs> because kids will be like, oh. Which one do I? She's right. She's, She's not 100% <laughs> right. As someone who works, I work at the library and we have stickers on our desk for kids to take. And you give a kid a box with stickers in it. And some kids will grab one sticker. Some kids will spend 20 minutes <laughs> carefully choosing a sticker. Yeah. And it is like an agonizing decision sometimes and the parent is like could we just go just pick a sticker and like you can see sister Evangelina is totally right and that's an, that's only something that comes with experience yeah and so this is once again sister Evangelina showing her experience that she calls it right i mm-hmm. also love in that scene how she's like grouchy at cynthia grouchy at dr turner oh yeah. you schedule it at the same time as all the uh, yeah. school concerts concert, yeah uh thank you so much <laughs> and then she opens the door to the kids and is just like hey! huge smile yeah. and so i love the like going from grouchy sourpuss to huge smile for the kids and she's such a softy yeah exactly it's part of what makes her character so good is that she has both those sides she's not just always the grouch and then also the uh no spoilers for the series but sp- we're not going to spoil the end. We're not going to save the spoiler of the back half of the episode. Yeah. That, like, this polio clinic is foreshadowing that there's polio. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be, I mean, Jack, but especially Timothy. Yeah. Well, and it's, uh, this is very similar to the tuberculosis thing where, like, they're, Dr. Turner is begging them to get it for Poplar. It's yeah. like... You start like get us things first. Give us like we're all in these living conditions where these things spread like wildfire. Give us these vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just once again an important medical thing that needs to come to a poor area first, and clearly isn't. Yeah, for sure. We have all scattershot in timing now because we started because i insisted on starting with the end uh but at the beginning i have to put on record and express my disapproval of the corrupt constabulary i was shocked (laughs) peter takes a bribe he he takes mistletoe from Fred, who is selling it illegally, and says, "Well, look at a take a blind eye if you give it. Give if me, you give it to me. It's like a shakedown protection money. I I'm know. Like, I, I do not approve. I do not Peter. approve either. Corrupt 
police we do not approve here on Poplar Opinion. No. I do think he's very sweet, though, when he hangs it up and Sister Monica Joan comes around the corner and sees him hanging up mistletoe and he, like, gives her a little wink. Yeah, that's really sweet. But it's nice that Peter is maybe fitting in a little better at living at a convent in his early married days. Poor fellow. <laughs> He does get my sympathy, yes. Yeah. And speaking of scandalous, Jenny's kissing Alec in the phone booth. I know, like, where anyone could see. It was just like, <laughs> and later on she's like up in his apartment. It's just very shocking for... Very pre- scandalous. Very scandalous. And very scandalous for previous Jenny. Yeah, I feel like previous true. Jenny was a little bit more reserved and this is very carefree. Yeah. In a, in a way we haven't seen before. Making out in a phone booth. Making out in Jenny phone and booths. Alex sitting in a phone booth. Okay, remember phone booths? I and phone booth. Um, I do remember phone booths. I think they still... No. Like... No. Far, few and far between, but like... I have not seen a phone booth in 20 <laughs> years. I've seen pay phones. I saw a pay phone the other yes. day. Okay, And was right. like, wow, pay phone. But not a booth. <laughs> And the other big scandal of the episode is when the nun, the nurses show up at Chummy's door with uh, baby shams, and the Chummy says, "Oh, the, the the nuns will get us in trouble." And I can't even—I didn't write down which nu- which nurse it is. Probably Trixie. Trixie. Trixie says, "The nuns—they're all drinking whiskey sours and playing poker." <laughs> and I'm like, "Is that Trixie being like?" glib or are the nuns actually drinking whiskey sours i doubt they're playing poker but they might be drinking whiskey sours (laughs) i was once again shocked (laughs) they're not teetotaling nuns this is not i mean teetotaling religious people this is that's very true like but they're like every time that they have alcohol in their rooms they're like very sneaky because the nuns are gonna get us in trouble so then finding that like the nuns are downstairs drinking whiskey sours (laughs) is like yeah that's pretty funny (laughs) um so let's move on to the main couple of the episode which is Yvonne and Alan mm -hmm. um as soon as we meet them we see that Alan has malaria from his time in Korea. So right away we established this. He fought in Korea and he's anxious. He's like, you know, oh, what if the baby comes on Christmas? And so Jenny reassures him that, of course, they work on Christmas. She said yep. that we're like the windmill girls. Yeah, the windmill theater was a variety Ooh. theater that stayed open throughout World War II. Uh, and so they had the motto, we never closed. Gotcha. By the way, the windmill theater, a variety theater, hear that as... A burlesque theater. Uh, like, windmill to me see, says Moulin Rouge. Yeah, exactly. And the the windmill girls are like stripper burlesque <laughs> performers. And according to Wikipedia, the slogan, We Never Closed, is often humorously mm-hmm. modified to, We're Never Clothed. Yeah. <laughs> Even We Never Closed is a little bit of a euphemism. There. Yeah. So, like, when Jenny says, I mean, like, when Jenny says they're like the windmill girls, it's kind of risque. It is kind of risque. I didn't realize that. They actually say that about nuns. Exactly. <laughs> I thought it meant that, like, literally windmills don't stop turning. I don't no. know what I thought. <laughs> it's the windmill theater never closed in never World War Two. In World War Two, I feel like I've heard about that. That sounds familiar now. Right. I have a bit of blitz knowledge from things I've read. Um. So yeah. So. 
we like you said about Christmas being, you know, a time to pause, but then they work through Christmas. Yeah. So this isn't like really a vacation for them because any babies born on Christmas, they're going to deliver them. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll talk a lot more about Alec and Yvonne yeah. throughout, but just like to say now that the theme of like belonging is already seated here mm-hmm. with Alec especially. Alan. Alan, sorry. Alec is Jenny's boyfriend. Yes. With Alan especially that he's like does not feel at home in his home. Mm-hmm. Is what That's I would say. That's very true. The last thing in this section, uh, the labor in the maternity home. Mm, yeah. Maggie, Maggie has a little girl. And while she is in labor, the nuns are, the nuns and nurses are singing Christmas carols. Mm-hmm. And do you know what Christmas carol they're singing? I didn't notice, no. They're singing the Coventry Carol. Oh. Which is uh, about King Herod and the slaughter of the innocents. Mm-hmm. So it's about, like, the, the verses, Herod the king in his raging, charged he hath this day, his men of might in his own sight, all children young to slay. Mm. It's just quite a carol to choose to sing in a maternity home that is yikes (laughs) i don't feel like that ever comes anything ever comes of that particularly Mm -hmm. but just like to draw attention to of all carols that you could choose it's a beautiful beautiful melody Mm -hmm. but like it is quite a choice to to (laughs) sing in a maternity home so let's move on The lights go out at Nanana's house as Cynthia is hair-drying the flowers. Peter arrives and wakes everyone with news that there's an unexploded bomb and everyone needs to be evacuated. The entire neighborhood is sent to the parish hall to sleep and Sheila goes to Dr. Turner's house instead. Sister Evangelina swiftly takes charge and Trixie and Jenny help to organize people. Jenny cares for Yvonne and Alan in the kitchen. Alan, clearly anxious, has nightmares during the night. The sisters pray in a room together, and Sister Monica Joan mourns the loss of Sister Bernadette's voice. Timothy steals pills from his dad's bag, and in the street, Peter tells Alec about the bomb and how it was patched over. Chummy creates scarves for the Boy Scouts and puts them to work, helping out while nerves are running thin. At the crater, the cops and military scope out the bomb and find out that it needs to be defused by a major from Scotland who can't arrive until the next day. So this is our other major plot coming to a head. We find out about the bomb. Yeah. The first, first, before we go any further, as they are evacuated from Nanada's house, Chami says... I feel like carrying her baby. I feel like uh, the culling of the firstborn, Herod and the culling of the firstborn. Mm. So which so is a reference to the to same the story as like hmm. five seconds earlier in the show. Yeah. When the nurses and nuns were singing about that same story. Hmm. That's the only connection that I could see. But it's immediately, there's a, an immediate connection of the same story. Hmm. That's interesting. I want to say right now. Let me put on the table. I don't much care for the unexploded bomb plot. What do you think? No, I find it... I find it interesting, and I find it it's on theme. 
It is on theme. I don't know what I don't like about it. Hmm. What? What? Why do you like it? I like it because it has this whole thing of of uh, anticipation, and it brings everyone together. But also, it's uh, it's a danger. There's also this sense of once again, Poplar was it was blitzed. And forgotten about. Hmm. And they rebuilt, but they rebuilt right over the bombs. And so they have to unbuild and then rebuild again. And it's this shoddy craftsmanship of like having to rebuild again and again because you can't build right the first time. Hmm. And that's kind of how Alan is throughout the whole episode is he's needing to be rebuilt because he was shoddily built. And he... And the, I feel like the bomb and Alan are very closely connected this whole episode. And and I feel like, frankly, it's a good device to get everyone together to make Christmas weird and to make it so Nanata's house is no longer livable. Yeah. I like what you said about Alan maybe makes me like it. Hmm. <laughs> because what made me maybe not like it, or not like it is too strong, but just like, eh. Is I felt like it was a little gimmicky. Hmm. Like it's a Deus Ex Machina to get all the pieces where they need to be. Like Alan has PTSD, so let's make some trauma that's going to bring it all back. And let's have some reason why they all have to evacuate their houses. And I'm like... Yeah, but you could say that about literally any plot point. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but like an unexploded bomb. But that's something that happened. You're right. And, And when you... When you draw attention to, like, Alan himself is, like, an unexploded bomb. Alan himself is, like, has been built back up without the necessary care taken. Mm-hmm. So that the danger is still beneath the surface and it the tremors show. Mm-hmm. Which the tremors don't show with the bomb. But, like... Yeah. That uh, makes me like it a lot more. All right. Good. <laughs> Excellent. As they're leaving the, uh, as they're leaving Nanata's house, Sister Julienne to Sister Evangelina is like, I'm worried about Sister Monica Joan. We should have taken her elsewhere. Us relocating is going to be so hard for her. And then she comes out like quoting poetry joyfully. And the poem that she quotes is Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to bowl, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. <laughs> I love that she's quoting poetry. I love that she has something under her <laughs> church. And they're like, oh, it's a cake because it's Sister Monica Joan, but it's the flowers, of course. Of course it is. Which is also another metaphor throughout this episode, is the yes. blooming of those, of those flowers. Yeah. Which maybe we'll discuss more at the end. I love, once again, uh, Sister Evangelina taking charge, being like, you know, like, let's get these cots set up. And the one guy's like, it's not the Blitz. We're not actually in danger. Yeah, but like, people are tired and and children are needing their beds and etc. And like, she cares so much. Sister Evangelina just like cares so much for this community and knows exactly what it needs at all times. She's not always 100% right, but in this case, she is 100% right. And then you have Trixie and Jenny like commanding people and Trixie 
being Sister Evangelina in her own way. Like, she's been trained by Sister Evangelina, like, and how to, like, talk back to all the people yeah. and how to, like, get them in line. It's fantastic. I love that. They're, like... I mean, it kind of makes sense, but it's also, you know, like, why are the midwives in charge of an evacuation? And it's because they have uniforms and authority yeah, and exactly. are good and, good and cool in a crisis. Yep. And so, like, they just take charge. No one puts them in charge. They yeah. just put themselves in charge. Mm-hmm. Sister Evangelina especially, but then, like, all of them. Like, yeah. Donata's house is in charge of this thing. Why? Because they're... The people who are good in a crisis. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that they go to the parish hall. I don't think it actually is the parish hall. I'm not sure where they are. It's some kind of hall. Yeah, you're right. Like, they actually say later that it that the parish hall is cordoned off, so I don't actually know where they are. Maybe the parish hall is cordoned off for this. For this, yeah. Because it's later when Sheila and uh, Dr. Turner... I. <laughs> I don't feel comfortable calling him Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) He's very rarely called Patrick. Basically, only Sheila calls him Patrick. Yeah. I mean, like, this is a show without spoilers, but basically no one ever calls him Patrick except her. Except her. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Dr. Turner, they're talking about their wedding and whether it can be in the Mm -hmm. hall. And she says the hall's cordoned off, but the church is still open. Yeah. I assume that the hall is cordoned off. For these people. Yes, you're right. Because it looks, it's the same room. It's got the stage and everything. I don't know why I'm second guessing myself. There's like in this section, Fred, of course, is a civil defense volunteer mm-hmm. because like Fred is everything. Yep. He <laughs> sure is. He's like Kirk on Gilmore Girls. Yes, <laughs> he really is. But it's such a better version. <laughs> yeah, it's like if that was good. Yeah. Um, I-, I love Gilmore Girls. Let's be clear. I love Gilmore Girls, but like. He's just a different class of Kirk. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then, like, Sheila goes to Patrick instead of evacuating. Which I is, know. like, both, you know, sweet, but also, like, speaking of scandals. I know. She spends the night at her fiancé's house. An ex-nun. Like, it really is, like... <laughs> in, in his pajamas. <laughs> I know. Like, it is a scandal. Yeah. I was just like... Sheila showing up at his doorstep in the middle of the night being like, can I maybe spend the night? (laughs) She sleeps on the couch. And I mean, quite frankly, they need to get to know each other better. This all happened so fast. I want her to go and like spend the night there just to like, so they can get to know each other better. (laughs) But it also like, it strikes me, Sheila showing up at Patrick's door and like the scandal and then, uh, Jenny making out with Alec in the phone booth, the scandal. Mm-hmm. And then Jenny is uh, saying that the nuns are the windmill girls, the scandal. And we haven't got to it yet, but Alec carrying Jenny up the stairs. There's a lot of scandal in this episode. Yeah. And none of it ever leads to any scandal. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of like... Skirting it. Risky behavior and like skirting and courting scandal. And I wonder if that's... If we... That's connected to the theme in any way. Hmm. That like, how do you be proper is by being where you belong. And there's all these people who are, or it's really just Jenny and Sheila, mm-hmm. but who are not where they belong. Yeah. And it turns out to be fine that they're not when they're where they belong. But it's like, someone might 
raise an eyebrow at them for being where they should not be. Yes, that's true. The two other things, or the maybe three other things in this section. <laughs> You're right, we are taking longer than an average episode. Um, but like, do you want to talk about Sister Monica Joan missing Sister Bernadette? Or Yvonne and Alan? Or Timothy? Let's talk about Sister Monica Joan and that because that I love this moment where she's she's so distressed by Sister Bernadette leaving and it's such a like moment of Sister Monica Joan and Sister Evangelina coming at head at odds again where like Sister Monica Joan is so flowery and worried about like she's left the spirit for the flesh and it's awful and Sister Evangelina's like the only flesh we need to worry about are all these people out here who need our help. Stop yeah. namby pambying around and let's get this done. Even though, of course, Sister Evangelina feels the same. Yeah. They all miss her. It's this, like, when we see Sister Evangelina and Sister Monica Joan and, like, yeah, Sister Monica Joan does actually care and does has in the past and will continue to doesn't really in this episode but do practical things for practical good of people but she talks as if like the way that she talks even now about like the spirit in the flesh like mm-hmm. sister monica joan talks as if the spirit is all that matters and she is very not just like i wouldn't say she's intellectual she's mm-hmm. like mystical mystical and she's all about the spirit and, like, the flesh will take care of itself if we attend to the spirit uh, to the degree that she's, like, practically floating away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Sister Evangelina is so, like, we need to feed these people to the degree that if you saw only that moment, you'd be like, does Sister Evangelina actually have a spiritual side? Yeah. Like, for a nun, she doesn't seem at this moment to have a spiritual side at all. She's mm-hmm. like, do the practical things and who cares about, you know. Yeah, the mystical. The mystical. You could almost say, like, who cares about God? We got to help the people around us in practical things and, like, your singing isn't helping anyone. Mm-hmm. And Sister Monica Joan, like, the singing is the the journey of the soul towards the divine. Mm-hmm. And Sister Julienne says to her, like, the singing isn't the ju- isn't the destination, it's the journey. Yeah. And she kind of binds the two together to be like, the purpose of the flesh is to lead our spirit, our soul. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of being led by the soul is to do good with the flesh. And they require each other and i love the way that she kind of interprets to sister monica joan sister monica joan's own distress that mm-hmm. like you've said what we all feel that you miss our sister mm-hmm. and the moment of sister monica joan which we don't get a lot from sister monica joan of this of mm-hmm. like yes you're right that is what i mean that is what i mean she didn't say that but like mm-hmm. on her face Often Sister Monica Joan is like, refuses to be grounded, Mm -hmm. (laughs) refuses to accept the like, let's lead you back to something a little less uh, flight of fancy. Yeah. She's like, no, I like my flight of fancy. But when Sister Monica Joan's like, when Sister Julianne is like, 
what you've said here is that you miss our sister. I, mm-hmm. It like breaks my heart, and I love her yeah. like nod of that is what I'm saying. That is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So lastly, we have Alan and Yvonne. Oh, you want to mention Timothy too? Yeah, I mean Alan and Yvonne and Timothy both. They're small points that uh, yeah. we can talk more about later. Like I mean, Alan clearly has PTSD. Al- yeah, exactly. Alan, this is where we see that he clearly has PTSD. He's and, like, they're doing everything. She's doing everything to, like, help him. Yeah. And they're like, oh, maybe we could sleep in this in the kitchen. And she, and everyone knows in that room that it's yeah. for him. But she's like, oh, you know, it's closer to the lab, which I like. And it's, you know, and we'll be quieter because, you know, I'm pregnant and all those things. And, like, you know it. That, and Jenny knows. Everyone in that room knows that it's actually for him. Yeah. But they have to maintain this illusion that it's not yeah. to give him his dignity, which he doesn't maintain. No. Because he has these nightmares and has this difficulty. Lastly, Timothy takes its aspirin from his father's bag, and that's basically kind of a red herring throughout the yeah it's kind of focused on with like dum 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 but basically he is stealing drugs and maybe he's some kind of an addict yeah but no it's actually like he has a bad headache has a bad headache yeah exactly he's feeling bad and he's medicating because his dad's a doctor and he knows what to do yeah but it is but he knows that it's not right he knows that he should ask his dad but he's his dad is too busy yeah as the usual story with Timothy and Dr. Turner. And it's again about belonging, right? Mm-hmm. Because he is, he doesn't feel like he belongs as a patient and he is kind of turning himself into the doctor treating himself and he isn't getting the attention and care that he needs because he isn't asking for it mm-hmm. because he doesn't under, he isn't like he understands maybe, but he isn't acting out where he belongs in the way that he belongs. Mm-hmm. Like things aren't, Things aren't still and full of belonging like Jenny has wished for at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And the maybe very last before we leave without much commentary is I love Chummy rising to the challenge with her pack. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment. Chummy's so great. Even with her young baby. And she's always calling him young sir, which I find so <laughs> charming. So charming. And I just don't know how I pictured young sir's first Christmas. And she's upset. And this is, again, the like disappointment of when Christmas doesn't live up to our expectations. But then they make the best of it. Yeah. Um, so, Yvonne begins twinges of labor. And Alan begs to stay with her when she delivers. He is stressed out by the sound of boys playing in the street, and when a ball bursts through a window, he flees in terror. (laughs) Trixie handles it, speaking softly, and Alan tells Trixie about his time in the war. She is sympathetic and struggles that he can't get care immediately. She confesses to Jenny about her father's PSD, the horrors, PTSD, the horrors. She tells about having to be cheerful all the time to make him happy. So I'm just going to stop there. Let's just focus on that whole thing for a bit. Because it's really significant is Alan has this severe PTSD before it was named that. That wasn't named, isn't named that in the episode because it wasn't called that back then. Yeah. 
and they mentioned it was called the it was called shell shock and then it was called the battle fatigue battle fatigue yeah shell shock in world war one and battle fatigue in world war two and mm-hmm. the horrors is what they called it in trixie's own family yeah exactly i'm like man first of all uh remember in season one when we were like why did we like trixie so much <laughs> yeah. and then now i'm like Trixie oh, is yeah. the greatest. She is so wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. She knows what to do for PTSD. It. She has her own like experience that is tragic. Yeah. And yet she doesn't. She takes that experience and uses it to help. Mm-hmm. Like so, she isn't. Uh, tra- <laughs> she isn't traumatized in the like. She isn't traumatized in the pathological or medical sense. She's mm-hmm. like, has has unpleasant memories, but she's mm-hmm. like, takes them and uses them for Alan's good. And they, and it like, it's so compelling. It makes me love Trixie. Mm-hmm. And also like, man, so it I explains was extra Trix- cheerful and extra <sighs> smiling dimples. Yeah, it explains Trixie so much. I really like that it it explains her and yet it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not the whole... It doesn't, like... It isn't the key to unlock Trixie's personality. No, but it shows... But it kind of is. Yeah, it shows so much of why she's so cheerful all the time. And, and that's how she copes, is with excessive cheerfulness. Because that's how she was taught how to cope mm-hmm. growing up. There's, like, I feel like sometimes on TV shows and books and series uh there'll be like a the character's tragic backstory that explains everything and sometimes that can be done very clumsily Mm -hmm. and i feel like this is so fits so well that i'm like i mean i know trixie is based on a real person do you remember from the book whether any of this is none of this is based yeah because it fits so well that like did they have that backstory in mind from episode one yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, we're getting pretty, like, already getting far away from the books. By the end of this season, we'll pretty much be done with based specifically on the books. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, it's diverging. The first two seasons were, they took a lot of stories from the books and then basically ran out of stories from the books. Right. <laughs> anyway. Um, I love... Uh, we don't have any secrets between us. They've been... They've known each other since they were seven and eight, dancing yeah. at the parish hall. That's they, sweet. yeah, they, uh, the only time they were separated was this time in the war. And so she can't access that for him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and this, like, he wants to be there in the room with her for everything, which is yet another scandalous thing. I didn't think about that until now. That's yeah, having that was... Alan want to be present for the birth of his child in this day and age was was scandalous. You haven't talked about it yet, but Sister Evangelina is going to be like extremely scandalized yeah. by the idea of a man in the birthing room. Yeah. Uh, which she has been scandalized by the idea before, and now it actually happens mm-hmm. in the like worst way from her perspective. <laughs> Chummy brings the boys over to Dr. Turner's home so they can play, and Timothy and Jack both act a bit strangely. 
Alec takes Jenny to his home for coffee, and they discuss living situations and him coming for Christmas dinner. In the middle of the night, Sheila tries on her wedding dress. Jenny and Trixie try to convince Sister Julianne that Alan should be at his child's birth for his own health. Timothy is unwell at breakfast, but Dr. Turner doesn't notice. At the bomb site, the Major arrives, saying the bomb is still active and needs to be diffused. Sheila goes to exchange her dress, but instead changes her mind back again and keeps the grey dress. Jack is ill, and it's discovered that he has polio. Sheila finds Timothy ill at home and finds that he has polio as well. Dr. Turner arrives to find Timothy in an iron lung. The nurse tells him what's happening, and he's upset because he already knows. Sheila cries and then goes to the nuns to sing with them as they pray with her and then deal with what it takes to postpone the wedding. They're like... Okay, first of all, before we get to the sadder parts, uh, first, Sheila is adorable in in uh, Patrick's big pajamas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> That's very cute. And then secondly, the, her, like, gray wedding dress. Oh, that, like, it's a nice dress. It's a nice dress it's and not a she looks dress. pretty. She looks great. But it's drab and matronly and this is, like, she's been a nun and this is her, like, her big chance mm-hmm. to be... <sighs> yeah. I mean, let's continue talking about the dress and that she goes and thinks about exchanging it and the shop woman is horrible. <laughs> She's she's trying, but she's like, she's like, you know, is it normal for women to go off the dress? Oh, usually you find <laughs> oh, yeah, that they've that. gone off the man. And she's like, well, that's not what's happening here, is it? And then she's like, do you, don't you have anyone? Mother? No, she died when I was small. Sisters? And she's like, I have sisters, but those were nuns. I and feel like, like the shop woman is horrible when she's like, they've mostly gone off the man but i feel like she pulls it back up to me it feels like i feel like she pulls it back up again when she says you probably just need someone with you yeah and she's right she's, she's so right. right she's so right but also and, like, like she is a little like blunt and clumsy about it yeah but, like mother no sisters no someone yeah and she doesn't quite say because she's just a shop assisted yeah. or a shop owner or whatever. I just she's feel not... like she's so snooty with like, don't you have someone to come with him? I feel like <laughs> it's more like don't you have someone to come with you? <laughs> <laughs> and that she doesn't quite say because it would be too familiar but what's underneath that that she doesn't quite say is you need someone. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, you need to find someone to support and help you. And that's why you're like, I think she's quite insightful. <laughs> well, I felt like she was a jerk. So <laughs> that's, we're just going to differ on that. <laughs> and then like, but yeah. And then Sheila coming back home with the same old dress. Mm-hmm. She doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And it's because she doesn't know where she belongs. And it's because she does have sisters who should be with her. But she doesn't feel like she can invite them because she mm. feels like she doesn't belong with them anymore. And it's so yeah. sad. And she feels like she's doing something wrong. So she yeah. has to keep things quiet and small and not extravagant. And don't draw attention to the fact that I'm a nun who's leaving... Yeah, you know, yeah. leaving my calling to 
get married. That's a scandal. Once again, scandal. Another scandal. And, you know, and, and they're already talking about her. Yeah. That Timothy said, you know, reports back that someone in the shop said something about her. So, like, they're already talking about this. And so she doesn't want anyone to make a big deal out of it. But of course she actually does want to make a big deal out of it. It's her wedding. I know. And like whether she wants to make a big show or not, she wants to be allowed to be happy. Mm-hmm. Like she feels, I said earlier, she still looks sad, but it's like she feels like she doesn't have permission to be happy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <sighs> and then, I mean, which parts of this do we want to look closer I mean, let's at? Just, let's go ahead to talk to, to talk about polio. Yeah. D- Dr. Turner does like we as the audience see that like Timothy is ill. Yeah. And Dr. Turner is got those blinders on which he often does with Timothy. He just like he's so focused on his job and focused on everyone else being sick that he misses his own son being sick. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the guilt that is going to hit him as soon as Timothy gets polio. So polio, do you know actually what the deal is with polio? What is the deal with polio? I, I like some of this, a lot of this I kind of knew vaguely, but polio is a virus. Mm-hmm. Most people with polio are asymptomatic Mm-hmm. One quarter of people with polio develop flu-like symptoms that go away in a few days, but a smaller proportion of people are paralyzed, sometimes permanently, mm-hmm. and the symptoms can appear as long as 40 years later. Wow, I didn't know that. It's like you can have polio as a child, and then 40 years later, paralysis. Wow. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, I knew that polio is a very big deal, mm-hmm. but like... It is a very big deal. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, for the, the the scouts, like... Jack and Timothy are not the only ones with polio. Hmm. Because of how, the, what how it sim- spreads. How it spreads and yeah. what symptoms need, like... And Jack has polio and basically gets better and is fine right mm-hmm. away, right? Yeah. That's like a quarter of people. Hmm. So it checks out... And there will be people in the scouts who have polio and don't even have any symptoms. Yeah, and don't even know it. Statistically. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know, like, polio is a big deal, and that's why the vaccine is a big deal, and why kids should continue to get vaccinated against polio. (laughs) Just putting that out there. Vaccines (laughs) are a good, smart idea. Yeah, that's right. What do you think of this moment where Timothy is in the iron lung and uh, Dr. Turner is like, I know all the things. The nurse is trying to tell him yeah, the facts about polio because that's what she does. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I know. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm a doctor and I know all this stuff. But now, right now it is of no comfort to me. He quite, he quite snaps at her. Yes. that The nurse who's played by Sandy Togsfeed, who I love. I did not realize she was in this. She of, like, Great British Bake Off and QI and lots of She's a things. British comedian. She's a comedian. I've I mean, never seen her in a dramatic role before. She's been in lots of things. Okay. Dramatic and not dramatic. But mostly, mostly she's a comedian. And so it was a bit weird to see her so serious. Uh, anyway, I love her. She, but her saying to 
to Sheila all this stuff about like your immunity has protected him as his mother yeah. and finally Sheila is like I'm not his mother and she's like well then get out you're not supposed to be in here yeah. and she's she reminds me of Sister Evangelina that she's like this she's got a harshness to her but she's also right yeah and uh and then with Dr. Turner as well she's being harsh a little bit explaining this stuff but also she has to and that's what she should be doing mm-hmm. but he's you know he's so upset and he's so it feels like the culmination of something we've seen from the very beginning with them that like he's a good doctor and is not really managing to be a good father yeah he wants to be and has the potential to be but he has not been yeah and this is where marrying sheila is part of that is like sheila's gonna be there be there for him she's not and she blames herself but she's so much. the one who see like the symbolism, the practical plotness of it, but also the symbolism of she's the one who does see. Yeah, and it's because she's there that he gets the help. Like if she wasn't there, what would have happened? Yeah, I think he would have died. Yeah, yeah. So it's like because she's part of the family, or about to be, or like mm-hmm. is now practically part of the family. She he calls her Auntie Sheila. Yeah. <laughs> They call her Auntie Sheila until they get Sheila get married. Until they're married and then she'll be mom. Yeah. I don't know when he starts calling her mom because she's not his mom. No. Anyway. But uh, it's because she's there that he gets the care that he needs. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. While Timothy is in the Iron Lung, the nuns are singing... uh, and they're singing Psalm 31, hmm. which they sing it, as often happens, they kind of sing it out of order. <laughs> yeah. Like, presumably, they just, like, sing a bunch of it, and then the sound editing splices things together. And, yeah. like, so they, they aren't singing it beginning to end. Yeah. But the some of the relevant part is, Psalm 31 is, In you, O Lord, have I taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Incline your ear to me, make haste to deliver me. Be my strong rock and a castle to keep me safe. For you are my crag and my stronghold. For the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. And while they are singing this, they're singing it as Dr. Turner is there beside Timothy in the Iron Lung. Mm -hmm. And then they're still singing it when Sheila shows up and joins them. Mm -hmm. And she stands there and she starts singing too. The thing that we didn't say when it came up, but Sister Monica Joan was com- was complaining about the singing and that mm-hmm. they're missing her voice. Yeah. She says our notes have no center. Yes. Yeah. And she, Sheila comes and gives their notes a center and Sister Julienne takes her hand. Mm-hmm. And that's... I love that moment mm-hmm. of like, she's seeking reassurance and comfort but she also is completing them and she's like when sister julienne takes her hand it's not just to give her comfort Mm -hmm. it's they're like reconnecting with each other because they love each other yep absolutely and she talks 
afterwards questioning where she belongs and whether she should have like I didn't you know want to come yeah and sister Julianne says like did you ever doubt that we wanted you here mm-hmm. she was still questioning where she belongs but sister Julianne gives her comfort and reassurance and yeah yeah um on a note of levity <laughs> Dr. Turner, when all the boys are gathered at his house and he takes them back to the place where they're all taking shelter, uh, he's like, if you're really good, I'll take you past the bomb site. And I'm like, Dr. Don't Turner! do that! What? <laughs> Why? Yay, the bomb! And like, of course all these young boys are like, yeah, I want to see the bomb. But I'm like, don't take don't, them past don't the bomb take site. The past the bomb. They're what evacuated goes on? for a reason. <laughs> But I mean, like, it won't, it's not just going to go off for no reason. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, it's one of these, like, it was the 60s time of like, nowadays it's health and safety gone mad. (laughs) We wouldn't dare take children near a bomb site. Back then it's like, let's take them near the bomb site. And I'm like, there has to be some middle ground. (laughs) Middle ground. Let's go poke a bomb and (laughs) (laughs) don't you. 16-year-old come out of my sight for five seconds. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of the bomb site, at the bomb site, the major goes down to defuse the bomb, but fails. It explodes, but thankfully no one is harmed. Chummy worries about Peter when the blast is felt, but Peter comes to announce that the de- damage was minimal and they can all go home for Christmas. Yvonne finally goes into active labor and they get get her home in time for her to give birth. Alan stays with them, encouraging Yvonne every step of the way, and Alan is given the baby with blood on its head. Let's talk about that blood right away. Yeah. Because that's something we didn't draw attention to when we talked about his uh, PTSD, but yeah. one of his symptoms is that he says he smells blood all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like the being present while Yvonne gives birth, like they explain to Sister Julienne, it's like to make him feel helpful and strong and loving and to show him and her both that he can be there with them and for them. Mm-hmm. But like specifically when Trixie hands him, uh, do you remember who was a boy or girl? They never say. They never say. Hands Object- him the baby. <laughs> Uh, and says, this blood is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I just like, it's this moment of redemption. Yeah. It transforms what blood means. Mm-hmm. Love it. Me too. Me too. I love that moment. I love that Trixie knows exactly what to say. Yeah. That she is reassuring. She doesn't just shove the baby to him. She's like, this baby has blood on it, but it's good. Yeah. This is like, this is life blood. That I'm giving you. And that like... And he's not magically cured by that. And no. I do feel like there's a little bit of that feeling. But, yeah. But you know that he's not magically cured by that. They're going to get him help later. But in this moment, it's... Trixie knows what to do. And I love yeah. that. It's a redemptive and transformative moment. And it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um... But still, 
a man in the delivery room? Well, I never. Except, like, the very first episode of the show has a man in the delivery room. They always just ignore that. That couple with, the, like, the 60,000 children just never comes up again, and that makes me sad. I wish that they would come back to some of the people that they meet. It's true. Um... The bomb guy. Do you want to talk about the bomb? The one that you said, uh, the bomb, you gave the bomb some symbolic meaning that I didn't see in it. But one of the things I did see is it's all about belonging and belonging together or mm-hmm. apart. And when he says, like, I'm going to go down and defuse the bomb, he says, I'll be all on my own mm-hmm. as it should be. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's such a, like, statement that resonates through the plot of this episode the theme of this episode that like there are some people who think they should be on their own and they're wrong Mm -hmm. and there are some people who think they i guess there's him yeah who thinks he should be on their own and is right yeah exactly exactly like i'll be all on my own as it should be Mm -hmm. and 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 because he screws up like it it explodes because he makes a mistake yeah, he drops and if the there thing. was someone with him, that someone would have been blown up. Yeah. Like, they couldn't have got both of them out, the, them out up the ladder. Mm-hmm. So exactly. it was right that he'd be alone. Mm-hmm. And he's responsible for himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it turns out fine. He, I, I mean, fine. Well, it destroys Nanata's house. Well, that's the thing. It's like, this, when the bomb explodes, you kind of see all this resonating throughout the neighborhood. You feel like they're at the parish hall and they feel it. They, I love the shot of the of Nanata's house and the telephone falling off of the yeah. desk. Like, that's a place where they're always standing. It's resonant of like, uh, if I give birth at Christmas, will you be there? Yes, we're always there. Our phone is always there, and there it is. The phone's falling off the desk. They're not there. Yeah. And that's the end of that place that we've grown to love and know so well. The phone falling off of the desk. And like that's the end of that space. Of that Nanata's house. That's been a character in itself the whole season, the whole series. We have the, like, the voiceover from Jenny at the end. Mm-hmm. It says, when Nanata's house was demolished, we heard its dying fall only in the distance. Yeah. Not like... <laughs> I know, It's just right? a place. Yeah. But, like, the fa- the... That it is demolished is one thing, but that it is demolished... And they're not even there. They're not even around. No one is, like, marking its passing. Mm-hmm. They only hear it in the distance. Yeah. It's like the building version of the end of Charlotte's Web. <laughs> yeah. No one was with her when she died. When she died. Yeah. So, when the nuns attempt to go home, they find that Nanata's house has been damaged and its foundation cannot, in its foundation and cannot be re-entered. Timothy wakes the hospital and comes out of the iron lung. Mature Jenny narrates that they had temporary lodgings and spent Christmas apart. Time passes and Chummy and Peter get a house at last, but Nanata's house is demolished without the new one being built yet. The nurses gather around and help Sheila prepare for her wedding day. She has a new dress and she gets help with her makeup and nails. 
Sister Monica Joan brings the finally bloomed hyacinth for Sheila's bouquet. Timothy is in leg braces and is worried about being laughed at at the wedding. Sheila and Patrick are married with a church full of people, and it is beautiful. Sheila in a full-length, proper wedding dress (laughs) with the nurses as her bridesmaids. We talked about... Sorry, I stepped on it a bit. We no, talked okay. about the destruction of Nanata's house already. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and what it means for them all, like, it's not just the place that has been the kind of sentimental and nostalgic and symbolic and emotional. It's like, very practically, they don't have a place. Yeah. They don't have a their, home. Yeah, it's their literal home. It's where they live. For and it like, to not be allowed to go back to it. Earlier we had... We didn't talk about it directly, but earlier uh, Alec and Jenny were talking about where they would have Christmas and she mm-hmm. said, you know, come and have it at Nanata's house. The nuns are so excited. And he was like, maybe you come have it in my place. And she was like, no, no, we, we, didn't, we can't. And that's where they do end up having it. Yeah. Her and and Trixie and Cynthia. Cynthia. Mm -hmm. That, like, they're scattered. They're not all together. Mm -hmm. Christmas isn't what they imagined. They have their little pockets, but they don't have a home. Yeah, exactly. And, like, for all the reasons that she wanted Alec at Nanata's house, it's, like, good enough, but un satisfactory like good enough but not good enough that Mm -hmm. they're at his house instead yeah exactly and that she says chummy and peter who started off the episode without a home living at nanata's house are Mm -hmm. the first ones who find one yeah which is great um but by the end only chummy and peter have at home yeah. like by the end of this episode mm. the new Nanata's house has not been built and they don't have anywhere to be Yeah, we don't know like the nuns are staying in the parish hall I don't know where I think they're staying at a different church a different or church. something yeah. are the nurses staying with them there too don't think so Doesn't it's very like unclear it. it's not clear where they're actually sleeping mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like running their midwife Practice, yeah, from somewhere else. Like, seems like on the fly. Yeah. Right? Mm hmm. The. Do you want to talk about the hyacinths? There's a minor motif through the episode of like blooming. And, yeah, and, the, the hyacinths won't bloom. And there's like. In the in the voiceover by Mature Jenny at the end, she says, We bloom where we are planted. Mm hmm. Uh, but the hyacinths bloom for Sheila's wedding. Yeah, and of course, Sister Monica Jones seeing this as like a sign yeah. is very much what is always needed. Is if if there's a sign, then Sister Monica Jones is on board. And so, like for the, for the flowers to bloom in time for Sheila to get married is like, oh, it's a sign they were meant for Sheila's wedding. Maybe they were. Yeah, exactly. She says, they bloomed when the Lord ordained that they should do so. Mm-hmm. She says, I had failed to divine their purpose. Yeah. I like that. Like, both as Sister Monica Joan reads signs into things and maybe, I mean, 
heck, I, I was going to say maybe they are. You know, this isn't reality. The <laughs> creator of this episode did make the purpose of those hyacinths was to bloom for Sheila's wedding. Yeah. So <laughs> there's no maybe about it. Um, But like, it's also thematically, I'd failed to divine their purpose. Is mm-hmm. like where their place was. I thought it was one place. I thought they were for one thing. But they were for some other thing. Yeah. And that other thing is still good. And it is when Sister Evangelina and Sister Julianne are sitting on the steps of Nanata's house when they can't get in. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of like, it's kind of like a rare moment of despair from Sister Julianne. Despair is a little strong, but like, from her. Yeah. And Sister Evangelina says, God will have a purpose for this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. God will have some purpose for this. And we said earlier that like it's like Sister Evangelina sometimes. It's like Sister Evangelina doesn't have a spiritual side. Mm-hmm. But we see it. We see it. Now. In this episode. Mm-hmm. That like he'll have some purpose. She's not worried. Yeah. <laughs> She's always worried that they're going to have the wrong kind of sweets or run out of milk for the mother's yeah. tea. But she's not worried about where she's going to lay her head. Mm-hmm. The, um, I like the, like, of course, the nurses, the midwives, like, why weren't you hanging out with them, Sheila? You've been hanging out with them all along. They're part of the reason why you realized that you wanted to be outside of the nunnery. Like, finally, hang out with them, get your pickup done. Like, of course. Wonderful. Yeah, and of course they would do that. That's perfect. Yeah. So... And then uh, her wedding dress in the, when she looks for a wedding dress and the shopkeeper who I don't like, but you like, uh, (laughs) is like, we have some things that are very Grace Kelly, blah, blah. blah. And then her dress in the end is very Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly being, uh, if you don't know, she was the famous actress who then married the Prince of Monaco. And so her wedding was like a really big deal. And it was a, very similar dress to what Sheila ends up wearing. And so she did go with the Grace Kelly dress that's floor length and beautiful. And she's got a full veil. The shopkeeper did see that makes me back to like, maybe the shopkeeper is just snooty. And then like, because she said, we have the Grace Kelly that we usually recommend that for a taller bride. Yeah, exactly. But anyway. <laughs> she looks so pretty. She, she looks, looks so pretty. And it's beautiful and she's beautiful. Yeah. I need to go back to something though that we really need to talk about, which is when Timothy comes out of the iron lung, he's laid across Dr. Mm. Turner and Sheila's laps, and it's exactly the pose of Paeta, the Christ, in that famous statue by Michelangelo. Yes. So like, what's up with that? <laughs> Do you have thought any thoughts about that? No. I mean, only that I I think that is a compelling visual image, but I don't think it's a compelling thematic center because I don't mm-hmm. think that Timothy's the Christ of this episode. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that... I, I don't... Is it something to do with Sheila finding spirituality in her new life maybe yeah Yeah. is like her new purpose is her new christ Mm -hmm. is this family her 
That's, I mean, that's not quite what I mean, but like, she's not worshiping this family, but she's finding Christ in this new space. She finds Christ in this family. Yeah. Exactly. Like she's not, she's not giving up on her religion. She's just giving up on the religious life. Okay. And this is a visual to show of like, I don't know. No, I I totally buy it. Yeah. You were like, do you have any thoughts? And I was like, I don't know. And then you were like, I have thoughts. And I was like, oh, good thoughts. I, I didn't have those thoughts until you said <laughs> you didn't have thoughts. I think that's good. Yeah. That like, it's not that Timothy is a Christ figure in that like his suffering redeems the episode or whatever. Yeah. But it is that like, she can find Christ where she is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And it brings the two of them together. This this brings yes. brings Dr. Turner and Sheila together in a new way and bonds them in a new way and makes them really a family. Mm-hmm. And I like that a lot too. Yeah. I love uh, going into the wedding... She goes in with Sister Julianne and she says, oh, you should be giving me away. Sister Julianne says, you belong to nobody but yourself. Mm -hmm. And you know where you're going. Yeah, exactly. And and they're both so happy and they look at each other and they're all happy getting married. And it's been coming for so long. But I just like that it's all about belonging again. Mm -hmm. That Sheila's like... I said she needed to make her own rules and she doesn't know how to relate to the nuns and she tries for a moment to be like, maybe I belong to you and you can give me to him. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you belong to no one but yourself. You don't need me to guide you where you're going. Yeah. You know where you're going. And she started the episode not knowing where she was going. Yeah, exactly. Like, she didn't know where she belonged and she didn't know where she was going and she ends it. Mm -hmm. Reassured because she's found the, uh, because she has found a way to reconnect with her family, with the nuns, Mm -hmm. then she doesn't need them to guide her. Yeah, exactly. I I very much like that ending. Mm -hmm. So what is your favorite moment of this episode? My favorite is when... Sister Bernadette returns to the nun singing mm. and or when Sheila returns yeah. to the nun singing and Sister Julianne takes her hand. Mm. And I think I love that moment and I also think it's like the drop that ripples through to my other favorite moments. Mm. The like my yeah. other favorite parts that I just talked about stem from that one. Mm-hmm. How about you? What's your favorite part? It's hard to pick because there's a lot of good, there's a lot of comedic moments in this episode, (laughs) but there's also a lot of like deep moments. I think finding out Trixie's story when Trixie and and Jenny are sitting on the step drinking their Horlicks (laughs) and she she tells Jenny her childhood and that's a very important moment for Trixie. I just, I really like it. Also, um... What is Horlicks? And should we try it? <laughs> I don't know. And yes. <laughs> I looked it up a little bit. Horlicks is... We couldn't get it in Canada, but we can probably get Ovaltine, which is the same thing. 
They're just Horlicks different. Is just a different brand. They're just name. different brand names for malted milk drink. And I think like one of these days on one of our episodes, we should like try Horlicks because they're always drinking it. I am pretty sure that we had an uh, orange jar of Ovaltine powder in my house growing up, and mm-hmm. I never actually had any. Yeah. <laughs> Seems likely. I I don't know what it tastes like. I no. don't think I ever had any. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> All right. Well, if you have things to say about this episode or any episode of Call the Midwife, you can contact us. Uh, we are on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. You can email us, poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can also support our podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And we can, uh, we appreciate it if you would give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, or just like, let your friends know, spread the word. We'd love to have more people listening to us. Mm -hmm. If you like us, let us know. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. And that's just my popular opinion. Thank you.